Welcome to a new episode of the SBE podcast, the place where we share interesting stories of interesting people. My name is Louis Morgner and today I'm joined by C.D. Amar, who is a researcher at the Brightlands Institute for Supply Chain Innovation. And the focus of his research, uh, among many different things he studies, is how to use technology for a better future. And that's a question we're also going to investigate today a little. In this episode, we're going to talk a bit about City, his background, his journey to SBE. We're going to talk a bit about the FSD Sparehead, which stands for Fair and Smart Data, which is a very interesting topic in the context of sustainable development goals, also on a global scale. And further, we're going to talk a bit more about innovation in general and how this can contribute to a fairer future for everyone. So with this in mind, I would like to thank you, City, for making the time and joining us today. Thank you for having me. Of course, very <laughs> glad that you're here. So to kick things off, maybe you can share a bit more about your background and more specifically what your journey to SPE and also the Brightlands Institute for Supply Chain Innovation looked like. So, so what, what is your story? Uh, okay, that's, that's a long story, <laughs> but I'm just going to give you the highlights. And uh, yeah, so I was studying in Finland. Uh, my last year was during the um, pandemic. And when I graduated, you know, the job market wasn't very effervescent. So um, I applied all over Europe and then I got a job here in the Netherlands and I was working here during the summer on data-driven projects. And then I got this job offer to join uh, uh, FSD, uh, is the Fair and Smart Data Spearhead. Uh, created by uh, Maastricht University and also it's a part of the, the Bisky Institute. So the plan was when I uh, left my previous job uh, is to go back to my country. I'm originally from Mauritania. It's a country in West Africa. And uh, uh, the goal for me is always to create uh, ventures that will help with sustainable development in my country and in the region to help the youth there. And I was like, okay, I could be an employee here uh, and that's okay. Uh, you get salary, job security, things like that. But uh, I'm aiming for something impactful. So I wasn't, um, when, I, when I left my previous job, the idea was, as I said, to just to leave, to pack and go back to, to Africa. <laughs> and then... Uh, I agreed to have this interview with, uh, with the FST team. And when I discovered the work they're doing and that this, it, it's geared toward um, uh, smallholder farmers in the global south, and their uh, initial focus is on uh, South America and Sub-Saharan Africa, maybe uh, close to, uh, maybe the focus going to be on uh, countries in West Africa. I said, okay, there is like alignment with my goals to just, maybe this is kind of an entry to, to the world of working and achieving sustainability and having impactful work on the, um, uh, impact on the field. So yeah, I accepted the job, I arrived here and I started in September. And since then I've been learning a lot. Uh, I've been putting things into perspective, uh, uh, getting insight about what is feasible, what is not, what is should be prioritized at this moment, uh, and what could be the role of the institutions in the West to make life better in the South, not just for the sake of people in the developing countries, but for more stable and fair 
world. So yeah, it's kind of <laughs> a mission, I hope. It's, it's for me, it's, it's not a job, it's not for paying the bills. <laughs> it's more for doing something meaningful. I think that is wonderful that you found something that you're so closely connected to and that also you think really aligns with your purpose in life, maybe to some degree even. Yeah. So I think <laughs> that's amazing, amazing to see. You mentioned FSD, which stands for uh, Fair and Smart Data, which is a sparehead here at SBE. And also for those um, who have not heard about it before, um, it is the spearheads were introduced to tackle the sustainable development goals of the UN. So maybe, Sidi, could you share a bit more about FSD and uh, what it is, what it does, uh, what its intention is? Uh, uh, yeah, of course. Uh, I, I love to talk about FSD. <laughs> so, uh, but let me put it into perspective. What are the spearheads and what are the goals, uh, uh, the aims of, of Maastricht University to have uh, such projects and such spearheads? So basically, it's, uh, there are now three spearheads and they're all uh, uh, created to tackle issues related to Uh, uh, sustainable development and the uh, sustainability in general and the uh, issues related to digitalization and specifically when it comes to SPE to supply chain problems and uh, so it's kind of finding a way of doing uh, impact, challenge-based research, transdisciplinary research to include Uh, players from the uh, non-profit sector, from uh, the industry, to come up with solutions that are implementable and impactful. And also to kind of um, raise awareness or kind of infuse the spirits of seeking solutions and implementations in real life in, uh, in, this student, in the student community and in the research community here. So uh, FSD is one of those uh, two, uh, spear, three spearheads, and it stands for fair and uh, smart uh, data. And the first iteration of this program is focused on the smallholder farmers in the global south. Maybe later we'll delve into the explanation what is smallholder. Uh, but yeah, so we have partners, uh, uh, Solidaridad, uh, the um, NGO, and also from Rabobank, is uh, one of the, the biggest banks here in the Netherlands and perhaps in Europe. And we're working on uh, research, collaborative research with both our partners and also with people in ac academia to come up with, with as I said, real-life solutions for those tremendous problems. Well, thank you for sharing. I think that added a bit more clarity <laughs> to the spearheads in general, the content behind it, and also the mission you are on uh, as an institute as well, or as a spearhead. You mentioned the aspect of smallholder farmers, which I think is quite crucial when talking about the real-life impact the research can have and also the accumulation of different stakeholders that are important to addressing those global challenges. So as you, as you um, hinted at quite nicely, <laughs> what are um, smallholder farmers and um, how does it connect to the work you do? So smallholder farmers, usually farmers who have a small piece of land, whether they own it or they just operate it, And usually they have a smaller yield. And, uh, and in a lot of cases, especially in developing countries, uh, uh, it's synonymous with poverty. And 
they produce uh, in some commodities, they are like the main producer of this commodity, such as cocoa and uh, uh, coffee. But still, those are hot commodities that are very valuable and very profitable. But still, a lot of those farmers uh, live under poverty, under the poverty line, and they're really in dire situation. I just want to share some, um, how to say, figures with you on Please. this matter. And I'm just, uh, I don't know, I don't have good memory, although I think I'm still young. <laughs> well, it's all right. So I just want to <laughs> highlight the numbers because they're quite kind of, of um, shocking. Uh, not shocking, but uh, a lot of people, when they think of agriculture, they think of those big um, uh, manufacturer that produce a lot of what you see in brands in, in, in the supermarket. But a lot of the produce and what you consume actually is sourced from those smallholder farmers. So let's say more than 80%, which is like 475 million of the world's farms operate on less than two hectares. And this is according to the FAO, is the definition of smallholder farm. And Although they account only for 12% of the world's farmland, they provide estimated 80% of the food produced in Asia and, and also in sub-Saharan Africa. So 80% of the food that is produced and consumed in Asia and in, uh, in uh, sub-Saharan Africa is produced by smallholder farmers. It means they contribute tremendously to food security. Imagine someone who's literally the, uh, the, the, uh, the source of, uh, of lives and food security in this region are really poor and they, they're living in, in very dire situations that are exacerbated by the effects of climate change. Maybe we'll talk about that later. And uh, the other thing uh, that I want also to mention, like just to give you an example, a family in, uh, in uh, Côte d'Ivoire would have $2,500 uh, a year as an income, a smallholder farm, farmer family, that's their annual income. And there are like prevalence of um, child labor and in some situations, uh, uh, even slavery in those farms. So cocoa, coffee, there are commodities that generate a lot of money to big corporations and big food chains, and still the people resource this from are really facing those kind of situation where they don't have their poverty, slavery, child labor, illiteracy. I think this is just shameful, and uh, we should do something about it. And maybe I don't know about the flow of, flow of the conversation, but I want to circle on the the connection between what we do here and how we consume of what is happening in the world and how it's really closely connected. You cannot just say, okay, the farmer, okay, he's poor, he's not paid well, but this doesn't affect me, I want something cheap. There are other aspects. Uh, uh, poverty engender instability and instability engender migration and migration engender instability also here in Europe. We've seen that uh, after uh, the waves of migration through the Mediterranean, a lot of government got toppled. And one of the main reasons of that, that some farmers in the global south, they lost 
their ability to make a living out of their farms. So they end up on those death boats. They would come to countries uh, like Italy and uh, southern European countries to do the same thing that they were doing in their countries. I'll just give you an example, and I would recommend this program to uh, our audience, people who are hearing this podcast. It's a program called Displaced, I think. It's on uh, DW, the German broadcaster. And one of the episodes was on the tomato farming in Ghana. That was like a really a very, um, uh, how to say, successful farming of tomato in Ghana since it's really present in their, uh, in their how to say, um, uh, the food they consume. They use it a lot. So it was kind of uh, a big agricultural uh, thing there. Uh, some farmer used to have a lot of revenue from that. And then because of the, the trade, free trade movements, subsidized tomato in Europe, in China, get dumped with really cheap prices in Ghana, in Western African countries. Now farmers there cannot compete. So they lost their livelihood. So it would take, they would go on a clandestine immigration, illegal immigration, although personally, uh, it, uh, I think it's just normal immigration because if you don't have a way of getting by, you seek a better life. So what I'm saying here, that those farmers, and I always like to give names and um, uh, how to say, uh, make it, uh, because when we are talking about people as data and figures and numbers, it doesn't engender the empathy we want. Uh, so uh, according to DW, this guy was called Edward. Edward was a farmer. He has a farm. He was farming tomatoes. And now because of this it's not beneficial anymore. He doesn't have any income that can support him or his family. Uh, he migrated to took one of those death boats and he ended up in Italy farming what? Guess what? Tomato in Italy uh, uh, in an illegal manner because they cannot have contract. And now he's producing the tomato that is going to be sold back in his country. And he's also considered uh, a criminal because he, he's there in an illegal way. So if, if you see this, you see kind of a lot of themes here, sustainability, uh, fairness, equitable supply chains, global trade when it doesn't, when it's not implemented in the right way. And as a segue, and maybe I took you on a tangent here, data is becoming also the, the new fuel for the, the economy. And farmers, are requested now from a lot of traders and the big corporations to provide data uh, for a lot of applications, from, for better agriculture, better yield, for agroforestry. And there is no clear mechanism of data governance for comp fair compensation. So just not to do the same harm to farmers and smallholder farmers in the global south, we should, in this pre-competitive phase, set the, uh, the standards and the principles clearly. No data should be gathered from smallholder farmers without their consent and without getting compensated for. And how can we uh, enact or enforce this kind of policies or principles is going to be on everyone, everybody, but as 
research institutes at the university creating knowledge and informing the public, I think this is this is what makes FSD very important and makes the, the having um, putting in efforts and informing uh, and gathering, I mean, like-minded people around this topic would, would create kind of the impact uh, I desire and I hope uh, to, to have in the future. Well, thank you, Sharon. Thank you for sharing so much also about FSD. I think it uh, was quite a nice story you, you took us on and also explaining a bit how the different aspects are really interconnected in this globalized world. And I would agree uh, with you definitely on the fact that those statistics, maybe not calling them alarming, but at least very worrying um, from a standpoint of fairness on a global scale. Um, I think it's definitely the right words to choose. And also considering examples like Edward, I do think that there is potential to act and to create a fairer future. As we have this paradox that <laughs> the Western world is so reliant on also um, the, the products that are produced, right? But at the same time, they are not compensated, those uh, small holder farmers. So maybe jumping a bit to, to a solution or one approach to address this issue that we, that we see is, as you mentioned, um, that data, or namely fair and smart data, can contribute to a solution, at least to make it a bit fairer. So could you maybe share a bit more on detail, really, how, how are you um, envisioning to use data um, to tackle this challenge and to compensate those farmers for the data, for instance, to um, address the key challenges that you, that you outlined so nicely? Okay, uh, this is really a, a big challenge. Is a global uh, of a global scale. A lot of stakeholders uh, have to pay their uh, role and do it in a very, uh, let's say, uh, impactful and fruitful way. Uh, we have decision makers, politicians, NGOs, uh, corporations, universities, research centers. Everybody has to do their their job, especially at this stage where, okay, for data privacy, let's say, in Europe, it took a while, but now there are clear frameworks. Uh, the GDPR, they're protecting data and the privacy to some extent. Uh, maybe the only better framework is the GDPR plus, plus California uh, rules. So this is kind of the epitome of protecting data and protecting users from uh, being preyed on by those big corporations. But there is a big asymmetry when it comes to, to the global south and in developing countries. There aren't clear frameworks. And one thing that we should make sure that any country that is operating in Europe or in the, in the West should apply the same kind of rules to privacy and uh, ownership that uh, in the West, they should apply the same in, in developing countries. That should be always the aim. So what is fair for you, it should be fair for Edward and should be up applicable to him too. That's the first, just out of fairness. Now let's talk about smallholder farming. And now it's this is a specific field. There are corporations, banks, traders working in that. So we know who are the people there, the stakeholders, when it comes to uh, Western influence. And there are local governments and UN, EU institutions in, in those countries. Um, uh, so everybody has a role to play, of course, but as a, 
a university, we should, or a research center, we should give ideas and framework to each one of these stakeholders what they should do and uh, right, uh, in the right manner so we can have a fairer and smarter use of data for smallholder farmers. And I would say, as I mentioned before, it should be given that the rules that apply for privacy and data ownership, but now the other aspect that is related more to smallholder farmers is farm data. We always talk about uh, personal data, privacy, and whatnot. Now let's talk about the farm itself. A lot of data is generated, and some of them for uh, efficiency, for the agriculture, for having a better yield. So if you're going to demand from the smallholder farmer to provide all this data, that even is going to make his yield better, but still it's for the sake of giving you a better production, they should be paid for that. If you require them to farm carbon so you can compensate for any kind of voluntary or uh, mandatory carbon uh, limitation restriction, you should also pay them. Not to tell them, okay, this is good for the environment, good for your uh, shading, uh, your uh, coffee agriculture. No, it doesn't matter. You're making profit of this. You're selling carbon credits to the market and now you have to compensate them uh, uh, accordingly. Um, also, you have to make it clear to them what are going to do with their data. So you have to meet them where they are when it comes to digital literacy. You have to explain to them in simple, clear word, clear terms, how you're going to use their data and where you're going to store it. Uh, so give them also the uh, options to opt in, opt out of any scheme that you're going to offer them. So we need, uh, I believe in regulations, and if you were going to talk later about any sort of technology, uh, maybe I'm an institutionalist, but I believe that regulations make a world a better place. And regulations come from the government. A lot of those things are not easy and not uh, cost effective for uh, companies. So. That's where comes regulation, and regulation usually pushed by people who know. So we create knowledge for people to push for better regulation, and it's kind of hard because we don't see them. They're in the global south, but they what that is affecting them is affecting us directly. The other thing is we have to also make the business case for companies. It's always better to have sustainable business model because, okay, now you push smallholder farmers to poverty, they will leave their uh, land. Uh, you push them for overproduction, they will do monoculture, the land will degradate. So at the end of the day, whatever you do just for profit is going to have really bad consequences on your own business. So that's also part. So we push for regulation by informing the public and informing the policymakers, but also we push for alternative uh, to companies that they could do this in a more sustainable way, a fairer way that will not cost them that much. And the the, the last aspect, uh, it would be more about trying also to create uh, awareness when it comes to smallholder farmers, informing them about their rights maybe cooperating with local governments to, 
to kind of advocate for the smallholder farmers. So the solution is really uh, multifaceted and layered, and it's difficult, but you do what you got to do. And as students or researchers, people working in the academic field, is shedding light of, on those injustices, unfairness, uh, coming up with principles, frameworks. This is what you do. And then you pass this knowledge, and this is a bit of also a challenge to the public to make it consumable and uh, easy, uh, understandable. Uh, and then it, hopefully it will be impactful through policies and change in business practices. Let's stay on the idea of regulation a bit more before talking about an event that is also coming up that yeah. I think we should highlight a bit. <laughs> um, what I was curious about, as you mentioned, regulation, although it's a multifaceted solution that is needed, still appears to me as one of the key drivers to actually drive meaningful change in, in that direction that you outlined earlier. Meanwhile, we have in academia, we're building knowledge actively that promotes a better way and basically shows a clear path on how to do it in a better way, more sustainable mm -hmm. way, more fairer way. Um, so the question to me is a bit, what is the, big, the biggest obstacle right now to moving maybe quickly to a regulated solution? Of course, when many countries are involved, things are very difficult to coordinate because also there are national interests that you need to have in <laughs> mind when people are negotiating. But yeah. what, what, what is the biggest obstacle that you see in, in not moving faster? Just to be honest with you, it's because they, they are the others. We don't see them. Uh, uh, so it's already hard to uh, lobby a government and to see what Greta and the youth are doing now. And still, there are a lot of compromises and trying to find, okay, be reasonable. And, and this is something that is affecting them directly. And it takes time to convince. There are a lot of calculation in politics. And... I'm glad that you agree with me on that the most effective way of enacting change is regulation. Uh, a lot of people are hopeful to make the business case for um, uh, corporations that, okay, this is going to be good for you. Please do it. I assure you the data backs me. Now, it's always the easy way. Uh, uh, circular economy has been... Uh, Uh, preach to um, the big corporations for a long time. Now it didn't translate much to their practices. It's more, and this is according perhaps to me, to me, to my reading of the situation. Um, so yeah, regulation and regulation. How do we push for it in a, a very effective way? That's a good question. <laughs> Maybe I don't have the answer for it, but. I think one of the, the way of doing it is also from, you can only change the things, you're not a Superman. I don't think even Superman can solve this, but you can change it from the tools that you have, from your position, from your profession. What can you do as a person, as a consumer? So as a researcher, you can tackle those issues. You can have interest in them, and then you do the ask the right question, collect the right data, and then don't do research for the sake of research. Do research, impactful research that will, when read, is actually going to move people and change minds. Uh, as a consumer, be more engaged, be more informed, look uh, for 
for everything, it's not about the price or sometimes, because the price you pay for your health, for the instability in your country, uh, so, uh, it's a higher price than adding one euros or two for, for, for your, uh, on your product. Uh, yeah, so I think sometimes you get lucky. You find uh, we vote for politicians that are having this as their mission, but sometimes we need uh, advocates and we need lobbying, and we can do this through uh, engaged engaged population and uh, institution that will tell the public in a in a clear and data backed way that okay, this is wrong, and th there is another way of doing it that is better. Well, hopefully, even with this small format and this podcast, we can <laughs> shed light for some people to become aware of it and also yeah, yeah. push in different directions. <laughs> However, as I uh, promised earlier, we also want to talk about an event that is coming up at FSD. So um, maybe, uh, yeah, playing that question right to you again. <laughs> what, what event is coming up? Uh, why is it important? Who is it for? Um, yeah, explain a bit. So, uh, yeah, the event is a, a panel discussion. We're inviting ex experts in the field of uh, data, data technology for smallholder farmers, and it's entitled the um, uh, Data Technology for the Benefit of Smallholder Farmers. So we're going to discuss a wide range of topics coming from, uh, starting from what are the no sorry, novel um, innovation trends that could help smallholder farmers because uh, we always think of innovation as something very sophisticated, something very elaborate, very costly, but sometimes innovation are really um, uh, coming from uh, the environment that those uh, smallholder farmers are operating in. And the second question or topic that we're trying to also discuss is... Um, What are, how do we create value for smallholder farmers? What are the financial opportunities in fintech? What are the, uh, the way uh, that we can compensate farmers, as I said before, for their data? So microfinancing, uh, there are a lot of business models also you can um, establish that we're going to be beneficial for both corporations or traders and also for for smallholder farmers. And the, the, the last one would be, what are the necessary infrastructural elements to ensure that is, there is inclusive and participatory, uh, uh, how to say, engagement of smallholder farmers in the digital economy? So maybe what are the ways of promoting digital literacy in the global south? How can we do that? Uh, another question could be also, Uh, how can we deploy digital ID? What are the alternative technologies to doing that? So a lot of those questions, and it could be interesting to people who are studying sustainable development, people who are studying policies, people studying data science. Uh, people, by people here, I said students and researchers. So we want them on the day. So it's going to be online, basically. Uh, you can attend that. You can ask your question. Uh, to those experts, we'll have the uh, the panel discussion, and then we'll give the floor to the, the, to the audience. There are also uh, some uh, invitation in person invitation. So we're hoping for students who are uh, already in uh, working on topics related to FSD. We have kind of a small community of students uh, to to join on the day. Some other researcher from the departments of SPE will be on the day. So. 
maybe we'll still have some spots. So if you want to, to know more about this event, just visit our website, maastrichtuniversity.nl, I think, slash FSD. And then you click on the news section and you can see all about the event, who are the speakers, how do you register. And yeah, perhaps we can also... Um, uh, through the presentation of FSD during the day, get the attentions of the students and, and they can contribute to this cause and to this topic. So I think a great starting point for anyone interested also in, in the topic yeah. in general and also exactly. who is interested also on the social aspects of innovation, also on a global scale, how you can treat poverty or fairness, equality in, in some sense. So mm -hmm. I think that's um, a great thing. So thank you for sharing. And again, uh, the link uh, will be on the <laughs> website uh, to yeah. join for those who are interested. You mentioned innovation uh, during also talking about the FSD events and also innovation appears a crucial theme in the work that you do at FSD, but also I think what your personal research interest is. And I think you mentioned earlier, don't do research for the sake of research. I think we could maybe perhaps extend the claim, don't do innovation for the sake of innovation, <laughs> because you should root it in needs, for instance, as we also talked about in this short preparation call for this. So could you maybe share a bit about innovation and, and your take on this? Um, so I, I just to clarify, I'm not hating on people who do research for research <laughs> and art for art yeah. and innovation <laughs> for innovation. Good for them. I think uh, just giving the limit, uh, limitation on resources uh, in academia and everything, we should be more focused on the lane that we need something that has impact. And just before I go on a tangent, I always do that. <laughs> a lot of also there is uh, skepticism of the role and uh, uh, the funding of uh, 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 research institutions lately. And unfortunately, because of the, the wave of populism, like we don't want the elite, we don't want our tech, taxpayers' money going to researchers doing something that is trivial, doesn't impact our life. So this is kind of an answer to that, that we're actually doing something impactful and this is really crucial and primordial to any kind of economic or civilizational uh, development in our countries. So yeah, do research perhaps for the sake of research, but focus more on how to do it in an in a impactful manner. So I studied innovation, just to go to innovation. And um, I believe personally that uh, we innovate uh, because we, we invent things. Invention is not innovation, but invention is kind of the precursor. And we do that because we needed something. Uh, we needed to move faster. Uh, we invented the wheel, moving things from. So, okay, I think only beer and alcohol that we kind of stumbled on that. <laughs> it was a more of a discovery. But a lot of the things that we've done in uh, our civilization and civilizational progress that was based on we needed something and we create something novel for it to tackle that problem. And this is always what gives me also hope for humanity because always at a, a point of inflection, we find our way through innovative solutions. And this is an inflection point. We have, uh, we're having a, a planet that is on fire. Uh, there's our grim reports that uh, is, it might be not reversible. We need to do drastic changes and everybody's still just not looking up. And so, yeah, innovation should be rooted in need and in 
uh, utility. What are we going to do for this? It doesn't mean someone would tell you, we're talking abstract here, we'll tell you a lot of the innovation that has been done, some of them at least were accidental. We're giving, we give space for imagination and people do, doing things. And then we, when it's there, we use it in other uh, domain and it, it was clearly that it's needed. I'm not against that, but given, the, as I said, the immense challenges, this should be the, the main target. And I'll just give you an anecdote. And uh, I, was, uh, I was studying in, in Finland. Uh, I like the educational system in Finland. It's based on like hands-on. We had a lot of those courses where it's projects. It's not uh, reading papers. And yeah, it's more of they give you a task from a company or from something, and this is the whole course. And this was like uh, entrepreneurship, I think, course. And students get to pick their projects and have a business plan. And then people, I think, from the industry will come and validate whatever they're doing. So I was surprised that maybe 80, 90% of the, the topics were like something very, <laughs> I don't know what is the word, but let's say privileged, <laughs> talking about how having a, a device to monitor dog, dogs who are walking them, uh, some other stuff about the gym. So I just felt the need to tell the students. I wasn't an instructor, I was just another student. I was like, guys, we're having like really global challenges. And all you could think of as solutions, as uh, uh, entrepreneurial venture is walking dogs. What happens in, in Africa doesn't stay in Africa. And it's not actually caused by Africans most of the time. So as students, well-connected, well-educated, the future of, of the globe, we should have this mentality. It should, we should seek something beyond our comfort zone, beyond our, uh, the, the, the ease of our life, because, because that's what is meaningful, I think, personally in life. And yeah. So uh, there are a lot of aspects of innovation. There are social innovation. I think you've heard of that. It's innovation rooted in uh, social causes. And it's not for uh, making profits. It's always the profits will be, in, uh, how to say, uh, put back in, in the work. OK, this is kind of not very appealing to the capitalistic system that we have. but. Some people did it and did it in a, in a good way. You can check the examples online. I'm, I'm talking to students now, <laughs> so maybe this is going to be an inspiration for you. There is a, a social entrepreneurship where you have want to tackle some social problems, societal problems, sustainability-related problems, but you want to also make money out of it to make it sustainable and to also profit. Nothing is wrong with profit as long as you don't destroy the environment or um, take other people's rights and uh, uh, don't pay them well, uh, fairly, I mean. Uh, there is frugal innovation, uh, innovation that is based on uh, the simplest way of doing things. It's not about making it sophisticated. It's more making it accessible and based on what is available. And there are plenty of cases in... Uh, South Asia, Southeast Asia, where they're dealing with a lot of uh, 
stuff related to the overheating and uh, lack of resources where simple solutions could help them and they're really coming from their culture, from their, from their environment. So travel, <laughs> expand your horizon, read about the world, uh, also be always focused on, okay, it's, it's, I'm not asking everybody to have the idea of I want to save the world, but at least I want to make it better or do things in my benefits, but they're not going to harm others at least. And, and this, this way, actually, we could help. As students, just always aspire for more and expand your horizon. Mm -hmm. I hope I, 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 was, uh, I stayed on topic. <laughs> no, 100%. I think it's actually quite a relevant note um, also to, to observe that we're as maybe privileged students growing up in countries without a lot of real problems, if, if you could call it maybe like that, or very painful problems. <laughs> it's easy to be trapped in that um, frame, right? And Did, yeah, going, going yeah that's true. I just uh, remembered something now, and sorry for interrupting yeah, course, you. No, um, when I was in high school in Mauritania, so I studied till high school in Mauritania, and then I left, I studied uh, in many countries, still I stumbled on this job. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> studied in Turkey, in Japan, in Finland. Uh, so... I remember when we were like in the chemistry lesson, uh, really good, very competitive. We don't have uh, labs to do the, uh, the, 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 the reactions and to do the, uh, the test. Uh, so we remember the catalysts, their names, and the chemical composition, but we remember also and like memorize what should be the color of each reaction. So they would ask, we've never seen it, but it's going to be purple. When you, um, uh, I don't know, put monoxide of something on something else, it, what I'm trying to say, people, they are not lacking when it comes to uh, um, their faculties. They're really smart. They're, mm. they're willing to, um, they have the drive to succeed because situation there is not uh, as good as here and they want to see the world and education is the only tool to make it out of poverty or to make it better even some people are not not everybody's poor uh, in that part of the world but still education is like the sole mean and tool to get out of a, a situation to to another there is no like safety nets hmm. <laughs> uh, like here uh, in europe so the youth there they have uh, the capacity, they're lacking the tools and lacking ac uh, access. Uh, thankfully, the internet now is better. People are getting more coverage, although in rural areas that's not the case. But still, yeah, <laughs> there are a lot of privilege. And I don't like to talk about it from like social justice kind of lens or blaming people for living in better con uh, living conditions. That's not something you should apologize for, but you have to account for when you work, when you, when you go in the world about your life, consider that, that what you do could impact other people miles and miles away. And I was uh, attending one of these um, TED Talks in Venlo, and the guy who worked on a project that now we're trying to have uh, a version of it for smallholder farmers in the global south, trying to create a platform for awareness. 
about the the compensation and the ecological impact of farming for smallholder farms in the global south. He said, if you just pay uh, double the price for uh, is not double the price on um, on the product is double the price on the farm gate uh, price. It would make all the difference. And usually it's just, I don't know, 50 cents. Uh, it's one euro. It will make all the difference in that farmer's life. Uh, they can now send their kids to school. They can uh, afford to, to have three meals a day. So these kind of things that we take for granted, they're really affecting other people's lives. So if there's a brand that's saying they're paying fairly, they're... Uh, the where uh, the farmers and where they source their material for from if it means I'm just going to pay two euros and purchase that brand instead of the brand that not committed to that uh, paying fairly the smallholder farmers that's something you could do and out of your privilege uh, out of being living here and it doesn't matter that much to you and would 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 make all the difference in the world so yeah as students as researchers um, have a lot of aspirations and <laughs> think beyond your uh, your own bubble. Yeah. So that's say. perhaps a good way to start. <laughs> so thank you. I would like to circle back to one topic which perhaps combines a few themes that we also mentioned throughout our talk until now, um, which is an innovation we all know, mm -hmm. I think, in the past few years, uh, even more increasingly, which is called blockchain, which is a technology that is linked to data. And also, I could imagine could have some implications potentially um, when it comes to fair and smart data and how to also compensate um, small farmer holders or small holder farmers for um, their data. So maybe could you just quickly share a bit about your take on, on blockchain? Is it a solution in search of a problem or is it really something like an innovation that can really drive meaningful change and, and in some way can it contribute? So, so what's your take on, on that? So, yeah, I think I told you before, I'm not an expert on the field, but I think uh, I have, I'm informed enough to just have my two cents <laughs> about it. So I think blockchain in itself, it's an important technology and it, maybe it will have really big impact in the future. Um, and what is really shameful now that we're focusing on the cryptocurrency part of it, more of the other aspect that we can use it for, for maybe creating an alternative uh, way of identifying people, uh, of uh, giving um, intellectual property to people uh, who create their content digitally. That a lot of those platform playing the gatekeeper and they monetize, demonetize according to whatever they want. Uh, so let's imagine that people actually could compensate creators or you can guarantee that the picture the video you created is yours and yours only and you can make value out of it there are a lot of aspects that blocked uh, blockchain technology could be used for but let's talk about the now the shiny thing about it uh, is cryptocurrency and there was like a lot of promises when we got the technology decentralization democratization uh, hope for the strong man, no gatekeeping anymore. And if you see what is happening now, it's just Wall Street, financial market on steroids, wild, wild west. <laughs> so 
instead of we're like looking to regulate and kind of uh, contain the financial market, now we're opening another uh, big market that is not regulated and it might create a lot of problems when it comes to security and it comes to even the environment. So, yeah, in that part. Uh, democratization and that's not true even now and decentralization. Uh, do you remember like the Dogecoin thing? <laughs> so it's a meme. The guy who created the Dogecoin was making fun of the cryptocurrency, the whole thing. And then... Um, Elon Musk tweeted about it and it became a thing and people started buying it. So he's a gatekeeper. He tells you what is valuable or not. So those big corporations now can actually drive value for this decentralized, uh, the small guy currency. No, it's it's theirs now. They control that. There's another gatekeepers also. and it's come, a lot of people are not knowledgeable about that, so they go to those trading platforms where you can exchange uh, your Bitcoins for uh, money for actual currency and vice versa. And a lot of them were like scammers. Uh, I remember recently on Netflix about the, the guy, I think I wrote his name down, let me see. Yeah, Gerald Cotton. Uh, whatever he fakes his death or he forgot his password before dying, everybody who put money inside that platform, they lost it. And he was uh, siphoning money out of it without them knowing. So there are gatekeepers because the the person, the small guy, the, uh, he cannot control that. And there is another aspect also, regulation, as we said before. Regulation is important. It's protection for everybody. Now, with fine, and the normal financial uh, institution and banking, if you lose your card, it's a shared uh, liability. They will try to shut down any operations about it. Uh, uh, so you're kind of protected. There are a lot of layers also of protection for your personal data, for your uh, resources. That doesn't exist. Basically, you divulge all your data online, and when you lose your... Uh, passwords, <laughs> when you get scammed, you have nothing. And there is no shared liability. There is no compensation, no refund, nothing at all. So you have to be really savvy to protect yourself and also to protect your, um, your data and information from the public. So there are a lot of promises that weren't fulfilled. And all we've seen is market speculation and crashing. Um, I think... I don't think this is, maybe I'm just <laughs> hating on the, <laughs> on the crypto bros. But at the end of the day, I think we could do better with technology, the underlying technology. But I don't think cryptocurrency without the intervention of the governments and it, without clear regulation of how to deal with it is going to be the solution. And at least the solution for people um, who are the focus of our research, uh, like poor people in the global south, smallholder farmers. Personally, I think there are other ways of using this technology or using other technologies, but now we're not there because we're still talking about coverage, mobile phones, and those are precursors, even electricity in some instances, to having blockchain. And that's not present in a lot of the situation to smallholder farmers. So... 
perhaps stay away for now from <laughs> blockchain for smallholder farmers and stay away from cryptocurrency. <laughs> A lesson to remember. <laughs> wow. Sidi, thank you for sharing so many different aspects about the work you do, about the work FSD does, also the Brightlands Institute for Supply Chain Innovation. One kind of last takeaway I would be very interested in is the hope you have for for the future, which might sound quite generic and broad, <laughs> but nevertheless, um, I would love to hear what, what your wish or hope for a better future is. I, uh, for now, uh, I hope for a better future for um, for um, uh, people in Ukraine, that war ends and that they get, get, regain their sovereignty and then Russia becomes a more of a, a positive player on the in the international community because they have a lot of potential and it's such a waste to have conflicts in the 21st century. A one-man desire to dominate could create such ripples uh, in the global economy and global stability in general. I wish also that for uh, other population that are facing uh, facing uh, discrimination or occupation around the world. Uh, uh, that's the first thing. We should We should be... 21st century, we shouldn't have occupation and arms and sieges and encampments. Those kind of things should be from the past. We should never talk about them again. Uh, the other thing would be, um, yeah, having at least for the future, because I count a lot on on future generation, our generation, the Gen Zs, and yeah, Take this, the plight of poor people and people in the global south, the disadvantaged people, the underprivileged, as your own struggle. Because there is no, the world cannot be a better place without equality and equal access to opportunity. Migration is related to poverty, poverty related to climate change, climate change overproduction, overconsumerism, uh, exploitation. This is rooted in colonialism. There are a lot of aspects that, I'm not saying make everything intersectional, but also think of everything on a, a bigger global scale and do what you can do to, to, to make a wo the world a better place. Yeah. I think inspiring for any young individual <laughs> thinking about his direction in life. So thank you for sharing, City. With this in mind, I would like to conclude this episode and thank you again very much for taking the time and sharing so much about the work you do, but also the other initiatives. Again, a small reminder, the FSD event is coming up, so make sure to check it out <laughs> online. You. So yeah, with that in mind, City, thank you again so much for thank taking you for the time. Having you.